So it's the 26th of October 2021. And now we have this opportunity to try to train our minds so that they become peaceful. And even though there may be many people sitting around us, uh, we develop the feeling like we're sitting just by ourselves. Any emotions, any thoughts, any sense impressions which come in, and we put all of these down, all of the proliferation, we leave this aside. And so when we sit, we do this first. We put all these things down first. And so it's natural that um, the mind is like this, that it thinks about things, it proliferates about things. But we tell it that now is the time for inner peace. Now is the time to bring the mind to a single object. And so we use the breath as that object, the in-breath, the out-breath. On the in-breath we can recite the word but, and on the out-breath do, the in-breath but, and the out-breath do. And if the mind gets distracted by thoughts, by proliferation, then we know that, we have awareness, and we look at that, and then we come back to the breath. And so we do this initially to bring our minds to peace. And when we have mindfulness here over the breath, um, along with this word, buddha, then as the peace gathers together, becomes stronger, then this meditation word of Buddha it disappears all of its own accord. And then we just have mindfulness over the in-breath and the out-breath. And there can be feelings of joy, of uh, happiness that come up within the heart. And then the mind becomes more and more peaceful, and the breath becomes more and more subtle until we're just not able to be aware of the breath anymore. And in that case, then we just allow it to follow its own nature. And we have mindfulness, clearly knowing the mind within the mind. So we just allow the in-breath and out-breath to just follow its own course, and we don't worry about it, we don't worry about anything. And the body externally feels very light and buoyant, And it can feel sometimes as though there really isn't any body there at all. Like we're just sitting in midair, there's just this emptiness there. And this shows that the mind has reached one level of peace and it's gathered into samadhi. So before the breath disappears, then we may feel as though our hands disappear or our feet disappear. Or maybe we feel that Um, from the navel down, the body has disappeared, and we just feel the upper half of the body. And everything's very spacious, the body feels very light, can feel like it doesn't have any weight whatsoever. And as peace grows, the feeling of emptiness grows, and it feels like we're just sitting in midair. There's the stillness, there's emptiness there. 
And so the mind gathers into peace for a period of time, and then eventually it starts proliferating again. And here is when we use that peace in order to contemplate, and we train our mind in this aspect of contemplation. So we can look at this heap of body sitting here and ask ourselves, is it a heap of happiness or a heap of pain? And so if there's no attraction or the bias of um, liking towards the body, then it will see it for how it is. And we just look after this body. When it is time, then we feed it food, maybe twice or three times a day. And that we need to wash um, the clothes that we put on it. We need to give it shelter. When it's unwell, then we need to give it some medicine. And so we always have to be looking after it in this way. And then if we sit for a long time, or we stand, we walk, we lie down for long periods, then problems occur within the body. And so we always need to be managing this body, always caring for it. If the weather's hot, if it's cold, then we need to find ways to solve the suffering that this gives to the body. And also with each passing day, the body deteriorates, it steadily breaks down. So this heart always needs to be managing this body. And those with intelligence will see that the body is really a heap of pain. And it's just something that we borrow from nature. But if the mind is deluded, then it will attach to this piece of nature as belonging to me. And this is a view which is incorrect, a view which brings us suffering. And so really the truth of the matter is that this is just nature, it's something that belongs to nature. And when the time is up, then we have to give it back to nature. And so we should resign our hearts towards this first, that in its due time, then we need to return it. When it gets painful, when it gets ill, and then eventually it gets to a point where we just have to give it back. So if we have wisdom, then we'll be able to see things in this way. If we don't have wisdom, then there'll be chaos around us. The mind will be stirred up by it. And we won't want to get old. We don't want to get sick. And then when the body starts to break apart, we don't want it to break. But this is impossible. So we use the samadhi that we've trained in to contemplate so that we can see the body for what it is, see it as just being a heap of pain. And so the arahants um, say that even though they're free from defilements, um, there isn't only happiness there because they need still to look after this body. But when they're free from the body, then that's when they can experience this kind of total liberation, the highest happiness then. But people in this world they think that having a body is happiness, and they attach to this body. 
because they find joy in the sights and sounds and uh, tastes, odors, tactile sensations that they desire. And so they don't see the body as being a source of suffering. They don't see it as being a heap of change, of suffering, of, and they don't see it as being something which isn't me, which isn't mine. And if they really like these bodies, then they see them as being something attractive and beautiful. But this is a distortion in perception. This is delusion. This is an incorrect view. And why is it that the mind thinks that the body is beautiful? It's because the mind is deluded. But if we've brought the mind into a good state of peace, then we'll be able to contemplate and see more clearly that really this thing, it's not me, it's not mine. So we see that the benefits of developing samadhi is the growth of wisdom. So when our sila, our virtue, is in a good state, and then this helps in the cultivation of samadhi. And then when samadhi is in a good state, this helps uh, to grow into wisdom. And then when our wisdom is good already, and then this gives us the fruit of knowledge and vimuti, liberation, freedom. So in the beginning we train our minds like this, in developing wisdom in this way, trying to develop peace. And then we are initially bringing peace to the mind, but as we contemplate, then we still the defilements. We subdue the defilements, and this happens little by little. And so we practice in this way. But some practitioners, they find it difficult to stay just with the breath in this word buddha. So they need to use contemplation in this case. Use contemplation as their foundation meditation technique. As contemplation as the leader of their meditation. And so you can reflect upon this body and see how it's something that needs to die. How it's something which is unsure. Something which is stressful. And when it comes together, we see it as being a self. But when it breaks apart, we see it as not-self, it's anatta. So we contemplate along these lines, bringing the mind to peace. And so this is using wisdom to train the mind so that it develops samadhi. And then when samadhi has gathered together, then we contemplate anew, and we're able to see more clearly than before. Those who are skilled in samadhi should use this, develop samadhi so that wisdom arises. But those who are more skilled at contemplation, then they use this contemplation to bring the mind to peace, using wisdom in this way, and then samadhi comes following. And so these two methods are both able to take us to seeing the Dhamma, to knowing the Dhamma. They both lead the qualities of sila, samadhi, and banya, or virtues, collectiveness, and wisdom to gather together into one thing, what we call maga, samaki, uh, the harmony of the path. And so this is what happens when the mind gathers into peace. 
But in the beginning of the practice, it's very difficult, very arduous, very painful. And so we need to forbear with that. Because initially, we don't have wisdom. Our samadhi is not firm. The mind is thinking about many things. And the defilements are conditioning the mind, making the mind attach to things. And this brings us suffering. And so if we gain a feeling that we don't like, that's displeasing for us, um, then anger comes up and the mind proliferates on that anger. If there's something that we find pleasing, then we like that and the mind proliferates upon that. And in both cases, there's just chaos in the mind. There's no peace there. It's just delusion which is proliferating, causing the mind to be all stirred up. And so we need to forbear a lot, really bring up this quality of patient endurance and forbear a lot. Maintaining control over our actions of body and speech so that they're virtuous. And then training the mind and contemplating, chanting a lot, reciting this word Buddha or the chant Itepiso a lot. We do this so that the mind comes into peace. And we need to understand that the goal of these meditation objects is this inner peace, is making our samadhi firm. But doubts may come up about these meditation methods. And perhaps we've read that contemplating, by contemplating death, that's only able to take us to uh, upajara samadhi, its neighborhood samadhi, or recollecting the goodness that we've done our generosity, recollecting our virtue, recollecting the qualities of devas, or um, the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. This is only able to take us to Upajara Samadhi. So maybe we've read this, but we shouldn't worry about that. We just carry on practicing, carry on doing it. And then when the mind is peaceful, it will just continue on by itself. And the mind's gathered into Upajara Samadhi, and this is in a good state. And then we can sit in meditation, and this just, um, and the stillness increases, it grows and grows, until eventually the mind goes into first jhana, and there's the one pointedness of mind. It's gathered into one place with just one object. And then when it retracts from the state of peace, then we contemplate and observe this body, seeing it as being something that's unattractive, a collection of elements, something that's just empty. And as we carry on contemplating, this goes deeper and deeper, until eventually we see the body as being anatta, not self. And here the mind turns empty. And when the mind is empty, then it can separate out. The body is one thing, the mind is something else. And we see this clearly. And it's like we've crossed over to another shore and we gain a feeling which is different from anything we've felt before. The mind crosses over to the shore of the Dhamma. And, but this side is the shore of the world. And so we see clearly that the body is anatta, is not self. And the confidence that we gain is great and the mind is full of energy. And so we see that this path that the great teachers, the Krubhajans, have taught 
of not getting involved in liking or disliking, of not attaching to anything. And it brings us to this emptiness of mind and we gain this understanding. We see how virtue really does lead to samadhi and samadhi really does lead to wisdom. And this wisdom gives us a temporary liberation. And we gain conviction in ourselves, sense of belief in ourselves, and what we have been doing, a practice of listening to the Dhamma, of putting the Dhamma into practice, contemplating the Dhamma, this path of sila, samadhi and panya, are efforts that we have been uh, putting into that. And when the mind is in the state, then we'll be able to just do sitting and walking meditation back and forth like this. Even though we may be meditating or speaking or working or eating, the mind is always in a state of emptiness. It feels very at ease, very light. It's really incredible, the mind in this state. And then we contemplate the body and see how it's something that's not beautiful. It's just a collection of elements. The body is just something empty. And the insight we gain into this becomes clearer and clearer. And so we feel like there are certain things that are binding over our hearts and we cut away at these and then we experience the the emptiness, the freedom from those. And we do this each day, cutting away at these fetters. And at this point, the practice is really something fun, enjoyable. Because we feel that this is the time that we're really cutting away at these defilements, we're able to abandon them. And the mind... It's not chaotic at all. There's happiness there, there's joy which fills up the heart. And these qualities of joy and happiness, they nourish the mind. Then we carry on contemplating, seeing things more clearly, gaining more clearer understanding. Until it reaches a point where we don't need to really contemplate anymore. We just bring the mind to a state of stillness. And then maybe we just see a flake of skin fall off or a piece of hair and knowledge arises. This really clear knowledge comes up. Sila, Samadhi and Panya, they gather together. And then we're able to cut off the defilements permanently and gain this understanding. And this happens in just a flash, just one moment. And we see how all of our practice, all of the meditation that we've done, all of the endurance that we've had to put in, forbearing with many difficulties, the ways that we've gone against the grain, how we've been eating little, sleeping little, training ourselves, bringing up this quality of mindfulness. And we see what this all goes towards. And the time that it takes um, for different people to practice differs as well. And for some people it's just six months until they're able to see really subtle levels of the Dhamma. And this is really amazing. And so some disciples of the Buddha, they could do this, attain to the path and fruit of Sotapanna, of stream entry. And really all of us are able to reach this. For the laity who have great faith, who 
are generous and virtuous. It's just a normal part of your lives. And who have goodness um, filling up the heart. This is possible for all of you. You care for our hearts, look after them each day. Recollect the good things that we've done. We do our chanting, we sit in meditation, cultivating our hearts. And we really try to do these things, we really put our effort into these things. And then one day the results of all of this appears for us. And this great value comes from that. And so we gain this incredible value from the practice. We really try to seek this out. For people who live in the world, they mostly just try to seek wealth and material things and gain and praise. But it's also necessary for those um, practitioners, uh, monastics, to have the support of the faithful laity as well, so that we have the time to practice. So none of us should be heedless in the lives that we have And maybe we can notice some more elderly people in the way they put effort into meditating, doing walking meditation, sitting meditation, creating any kind of goodness that they can do, because they're aware of what's waiting for them. Maybe they're 60 years old, 65 years old, and they think that at about 80 they'll probably die. And so there's not long left just 15 years left. It's not much time. And they don't know whether the strength of their body will reach until that age either. And so they put great effort into creating all the kinds of goodness that they can do. And so there are some younger monks who are more heedless. They think that maybe they'll live into an old age. But the older monastics, they're not heedless in this way. In the Buddha's time, there was one bhikkhuni who was quite elderly, and she had the duty of looking after the robe dying shed. And she would really do this to the best of her abilities. She would clean it and then heat up the water and prepare everything so that uh, the other nuns could wash their robes easily. So she put a lot of effort into her practice, into her duties, and she wasn't heedless. And she was able to attain arahantship, even though she was already old. But there are some younger monastics who think that they've still got a lot of time left, that they're not going to get old anytime soon. They think they won't get old at all, they won't get sick, they're not going to die. But this really is something that's not sure. And we can be heedless if we think in this way. So therefore we should reflect upon our death each day and see how our lives are something that aren't sure, but death is sure. And death is the culmination of this life. This life ends in death. So we contemplate like this in order to bring our minds to peace. And it's possible for them to gather into a Pajara Samadhi in this way. And we gain the feeling of a buoyancy of both body and mind. And it can be quite quick if we practice like this. So we contemplate like this to bring about inner peace. And so may all of you really do this, put your efforts into this, train your minds like this each day. And if you do, then 
the results will come up. The results of the practice will manifest clearly for all of you to see. And really, this, the results we get from our Dharma practice, gives us the most value out of anything in life.